Chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Sheriff Larrabee's Prisoner by Martin Dexter, pseudonym for Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Unforeseen Sucker The late October day dawned with a warm, steady breeze out of the south. The air was soft as the air of latter May, and the sun was kindly warm and bright. Mary Larrabee, in honor of the tender blue sky above her, put on a dress so white that it dazzled, so crisp that it rustled with every step like an autumn wind among the gay leaves, and while she smiled at her pretty face in the mirror, she nodded at her breast a red ribbon to match the red feather that flowed along the side of her white hat. Then she went forth like some ancient warrior to battle, conscious of invincible armor. Her own neat little buggy, with her own span of bright-eyed bays, dancing before it, waited in front of the house. They whirled her off down the road, so fast that the heart of her mother came into her throat. She would have called a warning after her girl, but in her heart was a sublime conviction that no living creature could possibly have the will or the power to injure Mary Larrabee as for mary herself in those rounded young arms of hers there was ample power to keep the bays in hand or if they wished to dash off at too reckless and abounding a trot she could soothe and control them with her voice for she had owned them since the day they were foaled and she had raised them to know and to love her whistle her voice and her hand she could have brought them back to a more sedate gait but there was no love of sedateness in Mary Larrabee. That clear tan on her face and on her small, strong hands told of many a wild drive and many a wilder gallop through all weathers and over all manner of roads, and across the bridge of her tip-tilted nose there was still a suggestion of the mottling of freckles that had been so prominent during her girlhood. Sedate, she only waited until she had turned the corner of the hill, and then she let her dainty-footed mares go, and they went like the wind while she laughed them on to greater efforts. She darted around sharp curves on two wheels, and with a shout she roared across shaking bridges. She flashed through Boontown, joyously conscious of drawing eyes after her on either side of the one real street. When she stopped before the jail, the bays were dripping and entirely willing to pause, but still, as she tied the hitching strap to the rack, they pricked their ears and tried to reach her hands with their foamy muzzles. She ran lightly up the steps of the jail, and whisked through the dark hall and carried into her father's office a rustle like the wind of the honest outdoors, a brightness like the kind sunshine. Sheriff Larrabee, as usual, had his heels perched on top of his spur-scarred desk, and he turned his slow-moving eye upon her. Since she had grown up to pretty young womanhood, he had made a point of making no fuss over her as a sort of antidote to the atmosphere of admiration through which she moved. But today she bore such a radiance about her that a very Diogenes might have dropped his lantern and his cynicism into his tub and stood forth to answer her smile. So the sheriff asked, "'How come? Going to get married?' She merely laughed at him as he ran his eye over the whiteness of the frock. He worshipped every turn of her head, every rise and fall of her voice, all the profound kindliness of his heart 
poured forth around her in silence mary understood i've come to see the inside of this old jail she declared i'll call bud said the sheriff yawning he'll show you around the place how come want to take up my business after i quit i might she answered i hit nine out of ten with my twenty-two yesterday i beat judd and he hasn't hardly spoke to me since hmm said the sheriff i'll call bud but i don't want you to call bud all right go around by yourself you know what i really want i want to see this terrible man jack you do of course want to see what a real honest-to-goodness murderer looks like huh well i guess jack will be glad to see you and have you stand around and look him over like a wolf in a cage that'll be a pretty fine party for jack right enough she sat forward in her chair regarding his grave face intently isn't he worse than a wolf a man that's done a murder she asked does he deserve to be treated kindly how do you know he killed benton why everybody knows it then everybody knows more'n i do and i'll tell you this he's going to be treated like a white man right up to the time that twelve men say he's done a murder after that while he's waiting to be hung he's going to be treated like a white man again if a girl or a boy of mine he broke off in his tirade staring ominously at her mary larrabee sat back in her chair nodding you like him don't you she asked why he's a man said the sheriff he had your brothers and me under his gun once and he didn't shoot to kill but just to warn off keep that idea in your head mary she grew pale at the thought you still want to see him i want to see him and thank him she said eagerly why dad how could such a man be a murderer she did not quail before the grim accusation which the world had placed against montaigne suddenly she was asking has he a ghost of a chance of proving himself innocent i dunno replied the sheriff but he don't seem to care he stopped hoping what with the crowd yowling to get at him and that little sneak levine badgering him jack don't seem to care whether he lives or dies when a gent stops being interested in life he's about through she bowed her head in the boontown paper she had read every word of the damning evidence against montaigne now she ran over it bit by bit truly it seemed a perfect case against the stranger unless her father's prejudice in favor of jack might be based on good grounds will you introduce me to him she asked gently sure said the sheriff if you're going to meet him like that i'll take you in he led the way to the rear of the jail to the cell of montaigne where the latter was rolling a cigarette with careless skill this is my daughter mary said the sheriff i've been telling her how you played white when we were giving you a run and she thinks she's got something to thank you about i'm going back in front mary as the sheriff sauntered away he saw jack montaigne rise and nod to the girl he heard him say no call for thanking me matter of fact i took the sheriff quite a bit out of his way and he grinned as he spoke there's nerve muttered the sheriff enough for ten ordinary men but mary larrabee was unable to answer that careless speech for a moment she stared steadily into the lean brown face of the man the straight-looking eyes remembering what her father had said he's a man that after all summed it up and when the prisoner merely nodded to her she suddenly stepped close to the bars and stretched her hand through them 
I do want to thank you, said Mary Larrabee, and I want to say how sorry I am that you're in trouble. His carelessness disappeared. He straightened, flushing to the roots of his hair, and advancing slowly, took her hand. Mighty good of you to come in to say that, he said huskily. She waved that idea away. First of all, she said, still probing him and finding nothing sneaking or elusive about his return glance, I want to know what you're doing to protect yourself. Nothing, he answered, because nothing can be done. Because you have no money? Well, that's partly it. Dad would help you, I know, said the girl, but as the sheriff he can't very well do that. However, I can, and I have money. I know the lawyers in town, too, and I can get one to work for you. He shook his head. I've always been set against taking charity, he replied. Will you tell me only one thing, she pleaded? Will you simply tell me that you didn't do this horrible, impossible thing? He watched her for a moment, with a singular hunger, but at length he shook his head with decision. It's no use, he said, because there's nothing that can help me, and I've made up my mind not to speak again. That's a final decision? Absolutely. Then, she answered, I'll tell you that I'm perfectly convinced that you didn't do it. I know you didn't do it, and, and I'm going to prove it to the world that you didn't. The flush grew darker and darker on his face as his eyes expanded. It's plumb easy to see, said Jack Montaigne, that you're your father's daughter. He's the squarest shooter I ever met, and you sure take after him. Why, if you were a man— He paused, but she urged him on with, Well— You'd be the sort I'd tie to, the sort I'd want to have around in a pinch. But the way it stands, well, there's just one good thing you can do, and that's to forget all about me. He was so calm about it that the tears rushed to her eyes. To hide them, she turned abruptly away, waved her hand to him, and ran out to find her father. The latter was walking up and down outside the jail, scuffing up the sand and studying it absent-mindedly. I've made up my mind to fight for him, said the girl, on fire with enthusiasm. There must be some way. Most like, said her father carelessly, most like there is. Never can tell when something will turn up. Up and down they walked, past the side of the long, low building. She knocked her shoe against a bright bit of metal and stooped and picked up an old house key. She pocketed it automatically, as some people do in such cases. How, asked the girl, summing up the case with energy, can twelve men with good sense look at Jack and think he could commit a crime? Hmm, replied her father, it's pretty rare to get twelve men together and get good sense out of them, and it ain't hard for that little snake Levine to hypnotize an average jury. No, Mary, you sure got no hope, not against Levine. He's a man-killer, but he uses the law to do his killing. She stamped in her anger. How many other men is he going to hang? she asked furiously. How many other men are in the jail here waiting until that little rat has time to come out and worry the lives out of them? Her father smiled a little at this vigorous denunciation. We're having dull times, he said. Only one other gent in the jail, and that's the hobo, Mississippi Slim. At this the girl stopped short. Where's Mississippi? In the jail. I know. I know, but what cell? Got an idea? I don't know, but for heaven's sake, tell me. What's his cell? 
right yonder he pointed to a grating a few paces away he may be hearing us now oh exclaimed mary larrabee it's turning my brain upside down is there a chance of what oh, nothing said mary and she bolted for her buggy in front of the jail running with the speed and the grace of a boy chapter ten the key to the door she whisked out of boontown as she had whisked into it the bay sweeping the light rig along at a terrific clip presently she turned on to a dim country road made by the wear of travel but never graded straight out of it she drove until she came to a sight of the house of the zellers she drew back her horses to a slower gait and finally pulled up behind the house instantly her eye met a reminder of the crime two parts of a door split cleanly down the center were leaning against the wall near the kitchen window this was the door that both young zeller and jack montaigne claimed to have broken through in an effort to get at the room of the dead man she tied off her horse and turning away found mrs zeller in the act of wiping a milk tin standing at the door of the house the big ugly face of the woman stirred a reluctant smile of welcome mary larrabee she exclaimed how long since you come this way pretty nigh into three years i guess i've heard so much about this murder said mary as she shook hands that i wanted to see the place may i mrs eller a terrible thing replied mrs eller the shock it give me i ain't over it yet gus was hit pretty hard too you want to see the room if you please come right up she started to lead the way a terrible thing she repeated and me and gus sure was fond of old mr benton i know some folks didn't like him much he had his ways but all old folks do we were used to him and knew how to make allowances yes we were fond of old benton there's an empty feeling around the house now he's gone mary larrabee shivered with disgust one glimpse of benton's face would be sure warrant that no human being could ever find a spark of affection to waste on the old fellow they stood at the door of the room there's the place said the woman there's where he laid with his head turned a little to one side do you see the mark soap and hot water nothing does any good to take that stain out i've worked till my arms ached and still it won't come out poor mr benton i hope they hang that jack as high as the moon you really think he did it think child alive don't i know didn't i hear him talk didn't i see the way he looked when he heard that the poor old man had money in his room right then i says to gus there's no good in this man gus there's no good in him and it sure turned out that there wasn't any well replied mary larrabee solemnly may the guilty man hang she turned away sick from what she had seen and went slowly down the stairs down those stairs jack had fled according to his story up those stairs old benton had dragged himself for the last time on that terrible night every detail of that night of storm and horror came back to her in the open air she drew a great breath of relief and approaching the broken door she drew out the key that she had picked up beside the jail and tried it hastily the lock turned smoothly under the pressure and turned back again mary larrabee drew it forth and dropped the key back into her pocket her heart racing with excitement how come asked mrs zeller following with aggressive curiosity 
i forgot to say said the girl glibly enough that my father asked me to bring back the lock of the door to benton's room will you let me saw it out mrs zeller fixed her big startling eyes upon the face of mary larrabee frowning evidently she was not at all pleased it don't sound like your father sending you around on jobs like this she declared it don't sound the least bit like him he knew i was coming out here anyway exclaimed mary hm said mrs zeller gloomily you want the lock but why do you want it i never could make any sense out of these legal matters said mary managing to smile in the face of that dark suspicion but that's what dad asked me to bring course if you don't want to part with it i'll simply go back and have him oh it ain't that protested mrs zeller but it'd be more regular if the sheriff was to send out a written order for it or a request for it being that he wants it for evidence oh i suppose it would said the girl but i've already done what he told me to do by asking you for it she made as if to turn away but mrs zeller in a quandary called her back i don't want to hinder the law none she said if this'll help to hang jack why take it and welcome to it i'm sure i ain't got any purpose in keepin things back i ain't got anything to hide from your father or any other sheriff oh of course not said mary then i'll take the lock back if you'll let me have a saw mrs zeller was gone a long time in the house apparently hunting for the saw but mary heard the voice of mother and son in heated argument at length mrs zeller came out with the saw and gloomier than ever proceeded to cut out the lock and hand it to mary i hope it brings bad luck to jack whatever his name i hope this lock is the thing that hangs him she said savagely mary untethered the horse and climbed back into her buggy why do you hate jack so much she asked when she had turned the buggy round why because he's a crook said mrs zeller fiercely and because he done a murder under my roof and robbed me robbed you asked mary larrabee jerry did wouldn't mr benton if he'd a died natural have left me something in his will of course he would have who robbed me of it then why this jack this devil did ain't that clear as day mary shook her head i don't know she said but if jack is a murderer i don't know where we can find men we can trust wait a minute said mrs zeller suddenly starting for the heads of the horses wait a minute hold on mary larrabee i've changed my mind about but a sharp cut of the buggy whip sent the bays sprinting away i can't wait called mary in explanation i have to hurry back then she dashed past the big woman and out onto the road mrs zeller followed a step or two then paused with her arms akimbo and stared after the flying little equipage at length she turned sullenly back toward the house there's a devil in these young girls she confided to her son a little later and i'd give a lot to know what she's up to the little vixen the first thing that mary did could have been seen from the house she halted her team beside the tree where the tramp was known to have kept his fire on that night of nights the sight of the fire she examined carefully and then swung the team back onto the road the bays were in a foam when she brought them back into boontown and drew up before the carpenter's shop she found the proprietor in the very act of starting for the country old mrs purvis just phoned in he said if your dad has some business for me mary i guess it'll have to wait mrs purvis is plumb rushed 
That's the way it goes with old folks. They want everything done so fast you'd think they was afraid death would come along before it was done. But, Mr. Hands, said the girl, this is a matter of life and death. Hmm, said the carpenter, and pulled his glasses down on his nose so that he could peer at her over them. Life and death? She placed the lock on the workbench. Is that a common lock, Mr. Hands? He examined it, took up a bundle of keys, and tried some one by one. Presently the lock was turned under his manipulation. Common enough lock, all right, he said. I got twenty old keys right here that could turn it. Mary Larrabee uttered an exclamation of despair. But, she protested, I want to prove that this key belongs to that lock, and now you spoiled everything for me. She drew forth the key and handed it to him. Let me see, muttered the carpenter, who was locksmith as well. Let me see now. Maybe it does belong. But what difference does that make? I can fix you up with other keys for it. Other keys? No, no, Mr. Hans. You must prove that this key belongs to this lock. Well, maybe I could. You see where the bit of this key is worn off a little? That comes from being used in a lock that has a rough place in it. I can find out in a minute. He set to work with a screwdriver, taking the lock apart, examined it carefully, and then straightened with a grunt of satisfaction. "'Look for yourself,' he said. "'Don't need no microscope for this. See this place sticking out in the lock? That's what's worn away the key. Must have took a tolerable lot of use to do it, but there ain't any doubt. See how it fits into the worn place?' "'Mr. Hands,' asked the girl, "'how can I thank you for showing me? You saved him.' "'Saved who?' but lock and key were snatched from the carpenter's hand, and she was gone, whirling through the door. CHAPTER Eleven: THE WHOLE STORY At the jail she swept her father into the storm of her enthusiasm. Key and lock were placed in his great brown hands. "'You see,' she explained, "'that key has to belong to the lock.' "'Well, Mary,' he admitted, "'it sure looks like it. And what do you make of it?' "'It must have been brought from the Zeller house.' That's natural, no doubt about that. And who could have brought it? Jack, I suppose. Oh, Dad, don't you see that his cell is on the other side of the jail? How could he have thrown it there? Huh? It's the tramp, Dad. He's the one who threw it out the window to get rid of the only clue that connected him with the murder. Isn't that clear? Her father shook his head, frowning. Don't sound like a strong argument, girl. But how could that key have come there? I don't know. Did you search Slim when you picked him up? Why should I search him? He wasn't near the house. Then he might have had the key on him when he was brought to the jail? I suppose so. How long would it take to walk from the tree where he had his fire to the house? Not more than ten minutes, do you think? Not more than that, I guess, if a gent stepped out lively. Dad, he's the murderer. But if he got rid of the key by throwing it out the window, he didn't get rid of the money that was taken from Benton's chest. She pondered a moment. Will you take a drive with me out to Slim's fire? He nodded, and a moment later they were spinning down the road toward the Zeller place once more. He might have cashed the money any place around this tree, said the girl enthusiastically, as she dismounted from the buggy at the side of the fire. That's true, said the sheriff, and he began an ardent search, but there was nothing to be found. 
In half a dozen places where boughs joined the trunk, at a steep angle, he looked, but there was no sign of the money. Or he might have dug a hole, suggested the girl at length. They examined the ground around the tree within a radius of a hundred feet, but there was no sign of earth having been broken. Still, said the girl, it must be here. He wouldn't wait to hide it any other place because he'd be in such a hurry to get back to his fire. Isn't that logical? Before the murder he was seen drowsing by the fire. After the murder he was back at his fire again. That is his alibi. You got all the terms down pat, said her father, and it sounds reasonable too. But what next? What about the fire itself? Buried paper money in a fire? Larrabee was chuckling. See where he scraped that fire to one side? He first had the fire going on the left, then he moved it to the right, where it is now, scraping the whole bed of coals. Well, is it reasonable that a man would move his fire once it's going? Isn't the hot bed of coals the most important part of a campfire, Dan? What's gospel, Mary? Then perhaps he moved that fire to cover something. The sheriff said not a word, but simply kicked away the ashes and the charred remains of the fire. He thrust his hand down into the half-baked earth below it, tearing it away in clods, until at last he uttered a cry, worked a moment longer, and then stood up, holding a handful of dirty greenbacks. But Mary Larrabee, staring, saw two visions pass before her eyes, Then money had no part to play in either. She saw Mississippi Slim hanging with a rope knotted around his neck, and she saw Jack walking out of the jail a free man. There in the hand of her father was the evidence that would accomplish both purposes. The money and the key, the sheriff was saying. Well, it sounds pretty good, but we can't be sure. The thing to do, Mary, is to get a confession out of Slim, if we can. That's the way to clear Jack. Otherwise, even if he gets off, his name won't be plumb cleared. Once a gent is accused of a bad crime, his name is black the rest of his life. I'll have to call in the snake, Levine, to help. My, won't he grind his teeth when he finds out what I've learned. On the way back to Boontown, he detailed briefly the scene between Jack and the district attorney, which he had interrupted, and the mad fervor of the attorney's desire to hang the prisoner. She had the pleasure, an hour later, of seeing the district attorney swallow the bitter pill and admit that he had been wrong. But in five minutes he had regained some of his happiness. One trail was lost, but another had been opened. No matter what man died, a death was a death. Indeed, with marvelous elasticity of spirits, he was rubbing his hands and walking up and down his office in a fine heat of inspiration, rehearsing the evidence bit by bit. At length he said, "'It's clear as day. He did it, but a good lawyer could get him off, probably. Somebody else might have buried that money under the tree.' Somebody else might have tossed the key into the sand. The confession is what we need, and the confession is what I'm going to get. Come along. Never in her life could the girl forget the scene that followed. She and her father accompanied the district attorney back to the jail and into the cell of Mississippi Slim, where the latter was walking busily up and down, getting my exercise for the road, he told them. The attorney took out his pad at once. Now, Slim, he said, I want to go over one part of your evidence. Many times as you want, Chief, said Mississippi glibly. 
It was about what time when you first saw Jack? I dunno. Ten or after, maybe. He disappeared down the road toward the house? Yes. Good. Now, when you asked for food at the Zeller place earlier in the evening, what did you do when you were turned from the door? Went up the road. You didn't stay about for a while? No. Didn't try to get into the house, maybe, and walk off with something to get even with them for turning you out? The district attorney chuckled, and Slim laughed loudly. I wish I had, he said. Did you ever see this? asked Levine, with a sudden and harsh change of voice, and he produced the key in the flat of his hand. There was an even more startling change in that rat-sharp face of Slim, as he settled back on his bunk and sneered at them. Playing tricks, eh? Huh? he asked. I'll do no more talking, not until I got a lawyer here. All right, said the district attorney, but I suppose you're willing to hear a little story? Talk your head off, said Slim fiercely, but don't ask me no questions. It begins, said Levine, with the moment Jack rode on toward the house. You looked after him, and you began to wonder if he might not have better luck than you did. Particularly you wondered what would happen when that big fellow tried to force the Zellers to give him a handout, huh? Well, you got so curious that after a time you decided it was worth getting a soakin' to see the party. So you got up and followed. You came to the kitchen door and saw him go inside. You listened for a while outside the window till you were sure that he was being fed. And the moment you knew that, you were wild with anger. You wanted to do something to injure those people. So you sneaked around the house, looking for a place to get in, eh? Huh? The face of Slim was grave with boredom. There was no other expression in it. Finally, went on the district attorney, you found you could shinny up one of the veranda posts and get onto the roof. By the time you got up there, the old man Benton was just coming back into the room, and he settled down in a chair near the window. Only for a moment, though. After a time, he went over to his chest and opened it. You saw him take out some money and make sure of it. You saw him lock the chest and saw the pocket into which he dropped the key. That right? Slim merely yawned. Then, said Levine, the old man came back to his chair and sat down to read. A minute later, you began to work. You tried the window behind his chair. It came up without making a sound. Inch by inch, you lifted it, pressing very softly for fear of a squeak and all the time the old man kept right on reading, eh? This is sure a fool story, declared Slim. Maybe you think anybody would believe it. You got the window up at last, insisted Levine, and then you slipped your hands in and settled them around the throat of Benton. He hardly made a struggle. At least whatever struggle he made was not loud enough to be heard above the roar of the rain on the roof. So you slipped in when Benton stopped wiggling, and you gave him a look. His face was purple. He wasn't breathing. His eyes were popping out of his head, and he looked dead as a doornail. You locked the door. Then you fished out the key from his pocket and took out that money. But while you were stuffing it into a pocket, you heard a shriek behind you. The old fellow was only partly stifled. You saw him getting up out of the chair and staggering toward you to fight for his money. You had to act quickly. You had to get rid of him and get back to your fire. You caught up a piece of firewood, hit him over the head, and without waiting to see how it ended, you jumped through the window, ran over the veranda roof, jumped off, and made it back to your fire, and— 
There was a sound of gasping breath. Slim had risen from his bunk with staring eyes. Where were you hid in that room? he asked. Say, how did you see it? The Boontown paper gave much credit to the district attorney for the cleverness with which he had fastened the meshes upon the real criminal and freed an innocent man. It gave a long write-up to Fitzpatrick Levine, while the part which Mary Larrabee had played disappeared in a single paragraph. Levine, as usual, took all the credit to himself but Mary Larrabee cared not a whit about reporters and papers. She was too preoccupied that evening in hearing from Jack his name and the history of his past. She was interested to the point of tears while he told her of his life before that wild night of storm and murder, how he had lived with his sister and brother-in-law, how to raise much-needed money his brother-in-law had made a practice of changing brands on the cattle that he caught off the range, how exposure had threatened, and how he, the man without a family, had taken the blame on his own wide shoulders and slipped away out of the country, penniless and despairing, but determined to give his sister's family a fighting chance to live in honor. For the first time and the last she heard all this with misty eyes, and it was never again referred to, nor were any of the events of the Benton murder ever mentioned in the house. But when she was Mrs. Jack Montaigne, Mary kept in a secret place, to be looked at on holy days, the little worn key that had saved the life of one man and sent another to his death. End of chapter 11 End of Sheriff Larrabee's Prisoner by Martin Dexter, pseudonym for Max Brand.